However, I must say, as, I, as I'm preaching, I'm going to be in many different places. And uh, if you have a pen, just like you can write down those scriptures and follow up after. It may be easier to stay just in Genesis 1-1. I'm, I'm so excited to be in the book of Genesis. Uh, just, just so you know, too, like the pace is going to be a little different as we, we're going through chapters 1 through 11. Uh, we want to be building uh, a biblical worldview. That, that's the, the, our goal, our desire. Build a biblical worldview as we're in the, the beginning of the Lord's Scripture. So again, the pace is going to be a little different. We're, today we're going to do one verse. Uh, next week we're going to do one day. Kind of five verses. And then we're going to do three days of creation. I'm going to do two days. And then we're going to camp in the, the last day. I'm going to preach twice from that. And so it's going to be like kind of slowing and going quicker. We're going to be going deeper. We're sometimes going broader. Uh, there, there's a lot for us to learn in, the, in these early chapters in Genesis. Kind of my vision for our time here in Genesis is that one, that we would grow, but maybe most importantly, that we'd see God more clearly. Right? As His words proclaimed, as His Spirit's at work in us, that we would see God more clearly. That we would trust the Bible more, as we're in the beginning of Genesis. That our minds and hearts would be more shaped by God's word than our world, the society we live in, and the values it has for us. This is my prayer that God would build in each one of us a growing biblical worldview. And what, why a biblical worldview? Because often we have a secular one, or materialistic one, or a humanistic one. We don't realize how much of our thoughts, our emotions, our desires, how we understand. Whoa. <laughs> Under, there you go, underline that. How we understand life and our purpose are shaped actually more by this world than by, the, by His Word. We need to realize that. And so building a, a biblical worldview is ongoing. We're never like, we're never finished. So even, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm like, oh, I totally, I believe God's in control. And then these past two years happened and, and I'm like, but I want to be in more control. And it was shown to me that maybe I didn't have enough of a true worldview that of God is sovereign. I need to grow in that. And then even, you know, perhaps as a young person, we like all these messages about sexuality and just kind of do what feels good. And then as we open up scripture, it's like, no, God says what's good and the parameters in which it happens. And so we're always kind of building a biblical worldview. You're never like, oh, I'm there, I'm done, it's finished. We're always having the Lord's word renew our hearts and minds and reveal places. We're like, okay, I'm actually thinking more like the world here. And I want to be thinking more like God calls me to in his word. Why does it matter today? Because we live in a, in a day where truth is relative, where everything is up for grabs, where life or sexuality is on a spectrum, a society that does not fear God and the list could go on and on. But if you're a Christian, a Christ follower, we want to be people of the book. We want to be people of this book. What does it say? How does it start? Do we believe it? Is a question we need to keep asking ourselves. So we're like, what does Scripture say? Do we actually believe to it? Do we hold to it? If we're like, yes, I want to follow God. I want to have my life shaped by His Spirit, by His Word. In the first 11 chapters of the Bible, we explore so many things. God, creation, as He's spoken into existence, humanity, how we're made up, our purpose, sin, brokenness, acts of redemption, judgment, the nations, language, and more. There's so much in the first 11 chapters. The question is, will we allow Scripture to shape us and be an authority over us, or will we be the authority over the Word? So I want us to give great clarity. This is what Scripture says. Will we come under it or will we say, no, actually, I don't believe that. I'm not going to hold to that. So this first sermon is called Genesis 1-1, the focus of the book. And I'll pray you'll be able to, to know what the focus of the book is. I mean like the entire book uh, when we're finished. If you want to stand with me, we're going to read Genesis one and one to five, just for context, the first day of creation. Genesis one, one to five. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. 
And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. May God bless his word to our souls. You may have a seat. So there's, there's a number of things I want to talk about as we're digging into the first verse. And the first thing I want to say is like, well, why trust the Bible? I want, like, we're opening up verse 1. And we're going to make some pretty strong statements what Scripture says. And we're going to interpret Scripture with Scripture. But why trust what Scripture has to say? Why trust Scripture what it says about itself? So I'm just... There's a few passages I want to bring before you. One that we talked about last week, but uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, it says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God, or is brought, God breathed. All Scripture is from the Lord, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Another significant passage talks about like, why should we trust scriptures? First, it's, it's breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. Another is uh, 1 Peter 1, uh, 20 to 21. Sorry, 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God used holy men to write this book. There's one author, but many writers. Forty. But one author. God is the author of this book. It's without error, without contradiction. It's given everything we need for life and godliness. We believe that scripture is inerrant. And what does that mean? I just want to read uh, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. It's a much broader document, just one portion. This is what we believe as a church. Being holy and verbally God-given, Scripture is without error or fault in all its teaching, no less than what it states about God's acts in creation, about the events of world history, but its own literary origins under God than it is in its witness to God's saving grace in individual lives. So what it teaches about Jesus Christ, how to be saved from hell and judgment to come, we believe in that. Amen. What Jesus did on the cross, He died for our sins. He was buried in the grave. He rose again. And that is the truth. It's just as much the truth that God spoke things into existence. We believe that. The inerrant word of God. And why does it matter? I just want to read another a lengthy quote from Answers in Genesis.org. It says this, If we believe the Bible contains errors, then we'll be quick to accept scientific theories that appear to prove the Bible wrong. In other words, we will allow the conclusions of science to dictate the accuracy of the Word of God. When we doubt the Bible's inerrancy, we have to invent new principles for interpreting Scripture that for convenience turn history into poetry and facts into myths. This means people must ask how reliable a given passage is when they turn to it. Only then will they be able to decide what to make of it. On the other hand, if we believe in inerrancy, we will test Scripture, test by Scripture the hasty theories that often come to us in the name of of science, So we hold to inerrancy. We also, we believe in the perspicuity of Scripture, which actually just means clarity, which a word that doesn't bring clarity when you say it. We believe in, in the clarity of Scripture, as in we can understand it using sound hermeneutics. That's how you read and understand Scripture. Ordinary people can understand the Word of God. You don't need a special sage or hidden knowledge. What I mean by that is when we open up Scripture, because we believe this is the inspired Word of God, we actually talked about this last week, we want to read it with understanding the it's literal. We want to take it literal where we can. We want to understand the, the grammar in which it's given to us, what's said before, what's said after, and what's the historical context. And then some genres will say, okay, it's poetry or prophetic, but if it's literal, we want to take it literally. This is how we want to read Scripture. And even as we, as we go into Genesis, I just want to say it's, it's not this like science versus creation thing. Because just think about this. There would be no science. There would be nothing to study and no one to study it if it wasn't for creation. 
So it's not these like two things opposed to one another. It's like God created, and because of that, people can study what he made. So it's not this battle between the two. As we, as we go through Genesis, let the, we're going to let the text teach and inform us. I'm learning weekly. I'm, sh- I'm surely going to miss things. I'm going to articulate things. Some things too strong. Some things not strong enough. It'll be great. <laughs> and even as, as I'm going, if I say something, you're like, hey, what do you mean by that? Shoot me an email. I'd love to continue to talk about these things with you. Let's learn and grow together. So as we, as we look at Genesis 1-1, as we, as we start this new book and new study, I just want to cover a little bit of the background. I'll do it fairly quickly. When was it written and by whom? And even as we're going through Genesis, I just want you to know like, there's so much doubt to so many things I'm going to say this evening. And one of them is are people, like a lot of scholars are like, Moses, he for sure didn't write this book or the first five books of the Bible. That's like the majority in a lot of commentaries. I'm saying, no, Moses for sure wrote this book, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. He was probably in the desert when he wrote it. They came out of Egypt about 1446, the Exodus. So he probably wrote it when he was 40 years in the desert. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible called the Torah, or often referred to as the law. Within scripture in the Old Testament, just quickly, uh, it's in Joshua 1, 7 to 8. Moses wrote the book. Nehemiah 8, 1. Daniel 9, 11 to 13. Saying, oh, Moses wrote the law. Moses wrote the book. In the New Testament, John 1, 17. 1 Corinthians 9, 9. So John the Apostle looking back. Paul the Apostle looking back. And those are just a, a few. And then Jesus himself. Matthew 8, 4. Mark 7, 10. Luke 24, 27. The road to Emmaus. John 710. Again, looking like Moses, who wrote the law, said this. So even scripture's own authority, looking like Moses wrote the book. And it's just me saying that you don't maybe understand how, how big that is. Like the majority of commentaries like, would, wouldn't necessarily agree with that. When scripture itself says, yeah, Moses is the author. Even just want to bring your attention to something John wrote in his gospel, John 5. 46 to 47 he wrote this as Jesus is talking to uh, the people he was teaching if you believe Moses you would believe me for he wrote of me but if you do not believe his writings how you believe my words We're, we're reading Moses the question is will we believe what we found written in that first chapter the first verse that Moses wrote what was the purpose of this book Genesis 1 to 11, again, covers so many different topics. Creation, where we come from, what is our purpose? Who are the people of God? Where do they come from? How do they come about? Laying a foundation for civilization. But if we were to look quickly through the rest of Genesis, then you got Genesis 12 to 23, Abraham. Forefather of the faith. Genesis 24 to 28, you got Isaac. Genesis 27 to 36, Jacob and the 12 sons of Israel. Genesis 37 and 50, Joseph, God preserving his people. Kind of telling the story, how did they get to Egypt, right? Because Exodus, as they're leaving, and Moses is writing the scripture, also informing the people, like, how did we get here? Well, it's through Jacob and his 12 sons, and how Joseph, how God used him to preserve his people. What's the genre that we're reading in? So again, most, a lot of people, it's poetry, First chapter of the Bible. This is poetry. I just want to point out something to you. Uh, one commentator, um, Jonathan Sarfati, says it's the Hebrew grammar and style affirms that Genesis, like all of Genesis, is historical narrative. Historical narrative. I want you to just show this to you. There's this phrase that occurs often in Genesis: the generations. So there's the generations of Isaac. Genesis 25, 19. The generations of Jacob, 37, 2. Generations of the son of Jacob. Clearly, like, those portions, it's historical narrative. As you talk about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he traveled back to where uh, Abraham was from, and he found his, his wives, right? We're like, okay, this is clearly history. But those same terms are used in 1 through 11. Generations of the generations of the heaven and earth, Genesis 2, 4. Generations of Adam, 5, one, generations of Noah, Genesis 6, 9, generations of 
Shem, 11, 10 generations of Terah, talking about Abraham, 11, 27. So all throughout Genesis, 1 through 11 and on, is historical narrative. I just want to, the reason I'm making such a big deal about that is people are like, oh, the first chapter is poetry. So we're not really like, did it really happen that way? I don't know, it's poetic. No, it's, it's historical narrative. I just want to make that point as we get going. So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. My, one of my goals is that you would memorize that verse by this evening. It's a short verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We all, we all like, man, I struggle with scripture memory. And I'm going to help you this evening get this verse down. Think about it. It's, it's foundational to the Bible. It's foundational to Genesis. If, one, if chapters 1 to 11 is foundational to the rest of Genesis, then chapter 1 is really foundational from 1 to 11. And 1 verse 1 is foundational to chapter 1. And if you think about it, 1 verse 1 is probably the most read verse in the Bible. Because most people, when they like, how, how do you read this thing? Well, you start at the beginning when you read the Bible. And however far people get, if they're just curious... Maybe they get to chapter 3 or whatever. Like one verse, one for sure has been read by so many people. How amazing is that? So again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to get this. Why, why one verse? It's so packed full. I was trying to think, like, well, how can I describe this? Is it like, you know, you have a small bag and a tent comes out of it. Like such a big thing. And that's what about a clown car? Like those small cars and like people keep popping out. But then I was just driving here. I had a better analogy. I should just strap those and shouldn't have shared them. But thinking about like a snowflake. Have you guys all seen like, you know, snowflakes try to catch them on your tongue? When you look at them through like a microscope, how amazing and how detailed they are. If you haven't seen it, like Google snowflakes, pictures, how intricate they are. This is like, it's jam-packed what we get here in one verse. It's amazing. Think about this beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I was thinking, I got to think of a more magnificent and weighty way to start anything. So I Googled, like, what are like famous beginnings of books? And I realized I'm not that well read. So I'm like, I don't know a lot of these, but see if you can catch a few of these. How other uh, books that began, though those are, are uh, fiction. This is nonfiction. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Does anyone know who... Wrote that? Yeah, Charles Dickens, for sure. How about, this is maybe not a, uh, a story, it's a movie in a galaxy far, far away. Everyone, what's that? Star Wars? I want to see if this one, this, this one caught my attention. It is truthfully, universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. I didn't, does anyone know where that comes from? Apparently, Pride and Prejudice. You guys all, come on. I thought some people read that. This next one is, is pretty good. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. That's pretty, pretty easy right there. But like, nothing compares, actually, to in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like, okay, those are good starts. In the beginning, God. You got my attention. As I was reading through the books that I had never read and had never heard of, I'm like, it doesn't touch. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The question is, will we believe the first verse of the Bible? If yes, like, will we, like yes, I, I believe and I'm putting my faith and trust this is true. We can start to believe all else that we would find in the scripture. But if we're like, if we stumble on the first verse, and we're like, I don't know. You have faith to believe the rest. So I want us to see and pull from this one verse going through. So first off, in the beginning, I want you to see there was a beginning. And it's like, wow, shocking. This is, I'm learning so much here. But just think of, there was a time when we were not, all creation was not, but God was. There was a time like nothing else, God. Moses was given revelation from God. No one was there. I think some, some history was passed down from no, Moses. 
But think, we needed God to inspire Moses to write this down. We needed God to tell us what happened because God alone was there at creation. And this phrase, the beginning, is a phrase, it's an absolute beginning, like something new is happening here. One commentator says it's the first of time, a point of time which is the beginning, there's none prior. This is important. Other, some other translators will say like, it's like something is happening, but it's not necessarily the beginning. No, like this is, this is the start of time <laughs> as we know it. When all things began, space and matter. And think about this, if this is when time began, time is connected to creation. God is outside of time. And I've, I've shared this before. I think this is a good uh, way to share your faith with someone. Like, what year is it? And they think you're like slow in the head. But maybe right at the start of January, you can, what year is it? Oh, it's 2022. Like, where did two years go? But, uh, <laughs> okay, 2022. Why is it 2022? And they're like, what are you getting at? Well, because roughly 2022 years ago, Jesus Christ was born. And all time as we know it, it's either after he was born or before, BC before Christ. But if you go in that direction, how far can you go? At some point, there's nothing but God. Just, just think about that. Eternity, we say the phrase, eternity past. Which isn't, like there is no end to eternity, but just a way for our finite minds to think of it. And in fact, even scripture would reveal and give us hints of what God was doing before the foundations of the world. He had a plan. We'll, we'll talk about that in the future. Like scripture said, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. Before he, he built everything for salvation. So there, there was a beginning. In the beginning, God, and God was already there. God, the, the phrase Elohim, is plural, yet referring to one. That's significant. I think when we talk about the Trinity, the triune God, one God and three persons, Elohim. So it's plural, yet referring to one. One commentator, Henry Morris, says the name of God, which stresses his majesty and omnipotence. I mean, it's all powerful. So the question is in the beginning, God, like, who is God? Ultimately, the rest of Scripture answers that question. But just think like theology is a study of God. There's nothing higher that we can study. There's nothing bigger we can put our attention to. You could study a hobby. Go after some sports. You could study investments. You name it. A lot of us have studied COVID. How did it all start? Where is it all going? Turn our attention to that. But just think about this. God is so much greater, so much bigger, so much more immense, so much all-consuming, that we turn our attention to God. A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Have you ever, have you ever been on top of the mountains? Or maybe seen like a beautiful sunset It took your breath away? I don't mean like you did it this week because it was so cold you couldn't breathe. But just like you, the beauty. And why does it take your breath away? Because it just reflects the glory of God. Like the, it, You're like, oh my goodness, you just see for a moment a little bit of more of God. It's His creation. Oh, that we would turn our attention there. So think about like, where do you go to learn more about God? You go to the original sources, right? If someone's telling you, yeah, I heard this person who talked to this person who knew someone who had a friend. And you're like, I don't know if I trust that information. And so like, where do you go to learn about God? Well, you go to the, the book that he wrote and he gave us. We need to be in it. We need to be growing in our understanding of who God is. Even if you just go through Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, verse 4, creation, and just underline every time it mentions God. I encourage you, write in your Bibles. It'll get messy, though, because it's almost every verse. Creation is actually not about, He made us. Creation is about God. 
Oh, that we would study him, that we would know him more. I'd encourage you even. So start here and, and consume scripture more than anything else. But outside of scripture, I'd encourage you for two AWs. One is AW Pink, the attributes of God. You could read it online as a free PDF. It's wonderful. Or there's AW Tozer, knowledge of the holy. There's, there's more books on the attributes of God. I just thought, hey, two AWs. Uh, that'd be easier to remember but it's awesome to just sit there and to read and contemplate god and i, I want to think more about god less about covid i want to like lord let me let my mind be consumed with how great and how awesome you are in the beginning god and what can we learn about god at this point of scripture he's eternal in Exodus 3.14, when Moses is being sent out by God in the burning bush, and Moses said, like, hey, it was like, go, like, who should I say is sending me? And God reveals himself. I am who I am. The self-existent one. That's who God is. He's the self-existent one. In Isaiah 57.15, it says this. God says this about himself. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place and also with him who is a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I just had to read the rest of that verse. That's so amazing. God inhabits eternity, but yet he's with those who are broken and contrite. I want us to see, we, we see there in Genesis, he is eternal. And then we have, actually, sorry, uh, Psalm 90, verse 2. And I, and I just realized this, this is actually a psalm of Moses. And, and Moses wrote, wrote this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's eternal. And so often, again, like the, the doubters are like, yeah, yeah, but, but who made him? Right? This, this, this is like, this is a question you cannot answer. If, if we follow like a logical sequence, everything which has a beginning has a cause. You, see if you can follow me. The universe has a beginning. Therefore, the universe has a cause. But friends, God has no beginning. He was, he is, and he always will be. So someone's like, yeah, yeah, but who made God? It's actually not a valid question. God's eternal. He always has been, always will be. And here we can also see in Genesis 1.1, God is all-powerful. He created all things as we read, as we're going to read, he's spoken into existence. There's nothing more powerful than God, for everything else was created by God. He does as He pleases. Psalm 115 verse 3 and decrees all things in accordance with His will. Ephesians 1.11 Think about this. God is self-sufficient. When He created, He did not change for God does not change. God was not lacking in anything nor need of anything. Yet He decided to create the heaven and the earth. The first chapter of Genesis. Think about this. This verse proclaims that God was and nothing else was. And He created all. In the beginning, God. And just like, if, do you believe that? That truth alone, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It debunks every other worldview. Tears it down. Think about this. Agnostics who say, we, we cannot know if God exists. In, in the beginning, God. Polytheism, many gods, stories of the ancients, like there's always gods fighting. One God and three persons. Pantheism, everything is God and God is everything. No, God created everything. Deism, no personable, no personable God to whom man can relate. As we'll read on, like Genesis 1.26, no, God made man and woman in His image. And then we know that Jesus Christ came down as a man. Very personable. Dualism. Good and evil are eternally coexistence. You think like yin and yang. No, as we read through the creation story, good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. 
And then we see sin and, and brokenness introduced in Genesis 3 in the fall. Think humanism. Like mankind is the measure of all things. No, no. Now it's created. You've got to bow down to the creator. Materialism or naturalism. Matter is the only reality. Like it's all about nature. No, no, God created matter. He created it all. Evolution begins with the premise that there is no God and then seeks to explain life apart from any involvement by God or, or how I like to say it, from the goo to the zoo to you, it teaches, no, in the beginning God created. And I'm going to show you in the first couple of verses, God created. It wasn't evolution or atheism. There is no God or is a... As a friend pointed out to me, someone who doesn't believe in God but is angry at him uh, is, is atheism often. <laughs> I think of, of, of all the worldviews in the West, I think there's, we maybe have a bunch of them, but the dominant one or dominant ones would be atheism and evolution within our society. That's being put. And we even have like militant atheism. I don't know if you've ever heard of Richard Dawkins who wrote The God Delusion. And who, who, there's this idea of like anyone who would think that like God created this, like they're actually dangerous to society for holding or believing such things. This is believing in outdated religion. I don't know if you know who said this. Religion is an opiate for the masses. Karl Marx wants to create you know a bunch of atheistic societies, communism, or God is dead. Frederick Nietzsche. During the period of enlightenment, the 18th century, like, wow, mankind, like, we're so smart, we can reason, we can figure out things. We don't need God. Psalm, four, Psalm 14, verse 1 says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Again, this is what is taught in our, our schools, in our society. Atheism, evolution. Think about evidence for a creator speaks against evolution. We're, as we're going through Genesis, we're going to find a lot more of these arguments. But just think of this. The first law of thermodynamics states that natural processes can neither create nor destroy mass energy. Like we can't create it. We can mold it. We can shape it. Like Imagine, like, I have a ball. You're like, hey, where'd you get that ball? I'm like, it just always has been. Like, what? No, you, you had to get it from, from somewhere. That's right, it had to come from somewhere. But yet, there's a lot of thermodynamics that says you can't create or destroy. So where did it come from? The second law states that the amount of energy available for work is running out, or that entropy, like it's dying, is increasing to a maximum. If the total amount of mass energy is limited and the amount of usable energy is decreasing, then the universe cannot have existed forever. That was a commentary from Sarfati. Like, just think about this. Like, if I have the ball that, like, came from nowhere, and I don't know how I got it, but if I, if I roll the ball, it'll stop. It's not going to keep rolling forever. Everything actually slows down. Everything gets destroyed. Everything dies. Things don't improve and get better. Right? Like, I, <laughs> I, was, I told my friend that we just moved into our, our, a home this, this summer in June. I said my friend... I can't wait till we get into our house because life, life's so busy right now. I can't wait for it to slow down. He laughed at me. He's like, You're, you will always have something to do. And it's true. <laughs> you know, you finish that project and you turn your head and you're like, ah, oh, I could probably paint that wall. As you're painting that wall and then you look, because things break down. They do not improve over time. The second law of thermodynamics would, would say that. We all, with our work projects, we all know they, they never end. So we start to think who God is, and it breaks down every other worldview. I want you to see, again here in the first chapter, God created. In the beginning, God created. The verb that's used for created is used only of creative acts performed by God. It appears five times in the creation narrative of Genesis 1-2, God created Hebrew bara, the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1-2-4, the creatures of the sea, Genesis 1-21, humankind, in his image, Genesis 1.27, and creation as a whole, Genesis 2.3. And that word create means make something that has not been in existence before. It's not just taking something that was there and 
mess around with it. It's creating something totally new. As Christians, we believe, or believe the scripture teaches, here's a, a Latin word for you, that God created ex nihilo, out of nothing. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. We see in, in Hebrews 11.3, I believe it teaches this. Hebrews 11.3 says this, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God created out of nothing. Romans 4.17b, talking about Abraham having Isaac, says this, God who gives life to the dead, then Abraham was able to have Isaac, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's what God does. How amazing, how inspiring is that? Inspired uh, this Christian hip-hop artist. His name's Timothy Brindle. I'm just going to share a little portion. I won't, I won't rap it. But I just want to share what he said. I find it inspiring. He said of this, <laughs> Of all life, the living God is the source. So to create, he needed no resource. So how we love this profound discussion, yet God made all things out of nothing. Out of nothing. Ex nihilo. How many tools did you use to create? Yup, it's zero, bro. It pleased you to create by shouting into existence every lake and mountain and snake and falcon. Then you made human beings and with the greatest favor crown them. You sustain all things, a gracious fountain providing rain by gallons for daisies sprouting. But all of this didn't add anything to God. Absolutely nothing changed about him. I, love, I just love that he used ex nihilo in the song. I had to share that with you. <laughs> but I think I'm like, amen to that. We believe that God created every, everything out of nothing. It's significant. I think whatever we make, we need the material first. If you want to plant a garden, you need the soil, you need the seeds, you need the water, you need more than that, but like any tool, like we need to get it from somewhere. Right? If you're going to build a home, wood, nails, electrical, it goes on and on. And here's like another proof for God in creation that God made. When I was in, I was in South Korea, and I used to walk 20 minutes to my place of work, and uh, as I was walking for a year straight, it was a short little walk, I'd walk past this place, and it was an empty lot. And then in time as I walked past, and then they were digging a hole in the ground to lay the foundation for this apartment building. And then I was walking, I saw them building it up in time. And then I imagined they put electrical and plumbing and, and put windows on, and I saw this building come to be. I saw it built. But imagine if I, like, I walked past there once and it wasn't there, and then I walked a whole other time for like, the year that I was there, and then I returned, and boom, there, there it is. And I'm telling someone about this. I'm like, this building appeared out of nowhere. Like, it's wild. It wasn't there. Now it's there. You're like, you're crazy. Right? You tell, like, you must be crazy. Like, people build buildings. And again, friends, we are so much more intricate. The creation all surrounding us, us as humans, than a building. So it's again, looking at the simple things don't just come to be. You'd be crazy to think that. We're way more intricate than that. This is just like a, an apologetic, something you could share with someone to say, like, look, a building's not just going to happen. How much more creation? So just think about that. In the beginning, God created. Well, which members of the Trinity created? God is three in one. I just want to share a few scriptures. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says this. There is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, through whom we exist. So the Father and the Son created. It says about in John 1, 1 to 3, we know this well. In the beginning, God created the heavens. Or sorry, <laughs> so stuck on that verse. <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. It says of, of Jesus Christ. And then we 
of Colossians 1.16. Just read that quickly for you. For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And you could look up Hebrew 1.10 as well. And so the Father and the Son and then the Spirit. Because we have in, in, in Genesis 1-2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Millard Erickson, commentator, says this, It appears from Scripture it was the Father who brought the created universe into existence, but it was the Spirit and the Son who fashioned it, who carried out the details of the design. While the creation is from the Father, it's through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. God's the Creator. Is this important for Christians to hold to? The first line in the Apostles' Creed the third century, uh, from the 3rd century, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. This is what they would confess to one another. The Nicene Creed of 4th century. First line, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things, visible and invisible. It's funny, I, I press this point. We spent time down in Haiti, and I remember I was teaching all these young people from the Bible, and I pointed out outside creation. I said, hey, who, who made all this? And they, all did, they didn't even understand the question. It's like, like, that's, like, that's a dumb question. <laughs> like, God, God made all this. They live in Haiti. We, but we live in Canada. And you can't assume that, like, so many people, like, who made all this? They were like, what do you, like, it just came to be. There's a big bang. So we, we teach our children. We catechize them. Who made you? God. What else did God make? Everything. And, but we need to learn that. We need to teach our kids because they're going to be taught a hundred, a thousand, over and over again, like this just came to be. There's millions and billions of years. Friends, it's important that we get this straight. Think about like, as we refer to Mother Nature. What's, what is Mother Nature? I know creation. We, it's important the words we use. Jonathan Safardi said this, God's creatorship is a vital doctrine of God proving His divine rights and sovereignty. God made all things, made us. We can trust his sovereign will we are underneath his control and his domain this is his planet we are his creation just as we're looking at the last part of the verse in the beginning god created the heavens and and the earth that was really bad but it's all right i'm cold too and i'm moving around so he made the heavens the Hebrew word for sky is used only in the plural in the Bible. It is the whole region above the earth. In Genesis 1.1, the term refers to the com component of space in the basic space, mass, time, universe. He made the heavens. He made space. And he made the earth. Henry Morris says this, At the time of the initial creation, there was no other planets, stars, or other material bodies in the universe nor did any of them come into being until the fourth day the earth itself originally had no form to it genesis 1 2 so this verse must speak essentially of the creation of the basic elements of matter which therefore were to be organized into the structured earth and later into other material bodies again in the beginning god made time in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and matter and space time space and matter this is Friends, this is day one of creation. Just like ask yourself that is Genesis 1 1, is it a title? In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and this is what happens after. And originally, actually, I thought that's what Genesis 1 was. This is, this is a title, and it tells what happens after. But as I was reading, as I was studying, I'm like, no, no, this is actually the beginning of day one of creation. Let me tell you why it matters. Going back to Henry Morris, he says this, It is significant that every verse in the first chapter of Genesis, except Genesis 1-1, begins with the conjunction and. 
the Hebrew conjunction like wa. This structure clearly means that each statement is sequentially and chronologically connected to the verses before and after. Each action allows, follows directly upon the action described in the verse preceding it. This pattern must apply to the first two verses as well to any other pair of verses in the chapter. Thus there seems no room for a chronological gap of any consequences between the first two verses of Genesis. The condition described in verse 2 falls immediately upon the creative act of verse 1. So our English translations don't do a good job about covering this. I don't know if you've heard of the legacy translation. That's MacArthur and kind of his group. So in verses 1 to 2, they start with and. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And the earth was without... It just continues on. It's, it's part of the first day of creation. The new NASP, new, new American Standard, uses and. King James Version uses and. I don't understand... With the Hebrew, there's a conjunction there, and most English versions don't put that. If you look in verse 3, and, verse 4, and, verse 6, and, there should be an and in verse 2, because it's continuing on the first day of creation, and why does this matter? <laughs> like, why does it matter so much that there should be an and there? Because many scholars try to separate verse 1 and 2, and say, oh, verse 3, that's when day 1 of creation started. And so God was already, He was working with, the earth that was formless and void, that had been formed millions and billions of years. And then verse 3, then God, here's day one of creation. And the Hebrew would, like, it's, it's connected. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and the earth was formless and void. So He created space, time, matter. He hadn't formed it yet. If you look, say, say at verse 6, and then he, he starts to kind of uh, work with the creation that's there. Right? Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let's separate the waters from the other waters. And he starts manipulating that which he has made. This is day one of creation. It's significant, I think, because as we can see, there wasn't this gap in time. And also we can see in, in Genesis 2, 4, or, or 2, 1, it says this, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the holes of them. That's kind of the concluding statement of six days of creation. When did it begin? Well, it began in verse 1. On the first day of creation. And the only reason I'm just making such a big point of this is, is if I didn't, there's people will say, okay, we can slip in a million years there or a billion years. But the Hebrew clearly connects those verses. I just want to make a point of that. And so next week, we're going to be looking at day one in its fullness. Does a day mean a day? And we, we'll, we'll be studying that. You can maybe guess where I might land. <laughs> here's, here's a question just kind of in finishing. Why did he create? Think about this for a moment. God is self-sufficient. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had fellowship with each other. They weren't lacking in some way. Think about how when humans achieve things, we have a greater glory, a greater prestige. Like in sports, if they win the championship, like, oh, I have this many championship rings. We like respect them more. We lift them on a higher pedestal. Someone presidents, kings and queens, they were like we lift them up. There's a certain glory for them. People who do great things and like build big towers, invent great things. We, we're like, okay, they're not here anymore. We lift them up there. God made all that you can see and all that you can't and yet it didn't make Him any greater. Nothing changed about Him. That's amazing. So why? He did it for His own glory. He did it to display His glory. Psalm 19, 1-2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim His handiwork day to day. It pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Friends, as we go through the creation week in the next number of months, Genesis 1, verse 1 to 2, verse 4, may we see God in a clear light. May we reverence Him as we ought to. May we be filled with awe that leads to worship. You just think there was a time where we were not, the earth and the heavens were not, 
and God was. Think about that. God is eternal, self-sufficient, all-powerful, sovereign. He's the creator. He created out of nothing. Do you know the focus of this book? It's God. It's God. He reveals Himself to us. How amazing that is. He could, the triune God could have just existed for all of eternity together, but yet He created, He created us. I can't wait to look. He created us for a relationship with Him and with each other. And you know, as we're going to go in, of course we know that that relationship was broken in Genesis 3. And the only way to actually repair that relationship that we are made for with Him and with each other is through Jesus Christ. That's, that's how much God loves us. And again, that displays His glory, what Jesus did on the cross. So wow, this is, this is just the beginning. But oh, I just, I just want to know Him more. Let's grow in our knowledge of who God is. If you just want to bow with me as I close the time in prayer. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at all that is in one verse. I'm amazed as I've just thought and prayed and studied how you created, how you always have been. We praise you, eternal God. We thank you for creating us, for giving us life. We thank you, uh, Lord, for those who you've drawn to yourself by your Spirit for life in Christ. I pray any who would be with us who do not know you, may you draw them to yourself. May you reveal Jesus Christ to them. Lord, even as, as we think about how amazing it is that you made us all. You made us all for a purpose. God, may we know that purpose through salvation in Christ. Lord, I pray all that I've shared, that which is from you, may you seal in our hearts. That which isn't, Lord, may we forget, may it fall to the wayside. May you be honored and glorified, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd just like to invite the worship team to come up with frozen hands. And, <laughs> and, and just as they, um, before they lead us, Elisa, it's interesting. I, um, I had a psalm written down. I'm like, I need to share this at the end before we worship. And you could, you could guess what it is. Like, we didn't connect this way. It's like Psalm 95 and verses 1 to 6. So I heard that. I'm like, amen. So we're going to do it again. We're going to read it again. If you want to stand in response, it says this, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into the, His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountain. Mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Amen. Kneel or stand. <laughs> Let us praise God for who He is. <laughs>